You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So good to see you guys. So while everybody's getting settled, got some parents taking their kids out. I had a word on the way to church today. You want to hear it? Yes. I shared it with a couple of the elders, and they said, you need to share that from the pulpit. And it hasn't left me, so I'm going to share it. I don't know why. I was just thinking about church because I'm excited about church. Wow. And I thought, why do so many people have a negative impression or image of church? The world definitely has a negative opinion of church, but we understand that, right? But why do so many Christians have a negative opinion of church? It's the unfortunate truth. Now, honestly, not so much in here. I really do mean that. Although in here a little bit too. People will look for reasons to miss church. Miss coming to church. People will miss at the drop of a hat. And I'm like, why is that? And wow, God just dropped something in my spirit. Again, do you want to hear it? All right, we'll wait till everybody can listen. See, if you're making church the mainstay of your Christianity, that can be very disappointing. But if you're living a life of 24-7 radical abandonment out for the Lord, and you're living for him all the time, then church becomes a very exciting part of that. And I'm not just talking about coming Sunday morning. I'm talking about prayer meetings and small groups and fellowship events and anything the church does. It changes your whole perspective on church when you don't look at church as a Sunday morning meeting that I have to go to. Somebody call me, man, and offer me an alternative to that. So what I'm, my prayer for our church is that we will begin living all out for the Lord. Church will then actually start to become more and more exciting. And we'll want to be here. We won't be looking for reasons not to come. So a brief introduction and review just to keep us fresh. You know, we're in a series through Acts, the book of Acts. Last week was Easter communion. So what you see on the screen is a review from actually two weeks ago. And the title then was Legalism versus great Grace, not Great Grace, Grace, and we're not going to really spend much time there, one verse. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived. They began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Legalism was trying to enter the church both in Antioch, Syria, and in Jerusalem. However, under wise leadership, 
Wise leadership is very important in the church. Very important. And we have wise leadership in this church with our elders. Under wise leadership, that scheme of the enemy, legalism, was thwarted, for, at least for at that time. And the church was moving on. So that's where we pick it up today, the final section of, cha- of chapter 15. So if you'll stand, and uh, Melissa, I think you're reading for me, if you'll come forward. We'll stand, we'll honor God's word together as Melissa reads Acts 15, 36 through 41. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Papalia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he left. The believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Thanks, Melissa. You may be seated. So we only have six verses today. There's two main points in those six verses. We'll deal with one today. We'll deal with one next week. Every week we hear the word of the Lord. We need ears to hear. We need minds to understand. We need hearts to receive, and the one that's most often overlooked. We need to have wills to act upon what we hear. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, or it does you no good. It does us no good. What I'm going to give today, I think, is great knowledge. It's great information. It's truth. And it can be life-revolutionizing truth if we apply it. For some of us, it's just going to mean ramping up things that we're already doing in this truth. For others of us, it may mean some changes and some tweaks in our lives. For others of us in here, it's going to be a complete mind shift from how mindset shift from how we've been living to how we hopefully are going to begin living. Some of us just a little, hmm. Some of us, yeah, I'll make a tweak. And some of us like, wow, some things need to change. And really some things do need to change. This is so extremely important for what God wants to do in the future. And if we, the church, not just our church, if we don't embrace this, he might not be able to do it. He may not be able to do it, and that'll be a huge loss, and that'll be so detrimental for the world, because God has great plans to save many souls out of the world, but he's dependent on the church. He's waiting for us to come in line with him. Can I get an amen there? My amen brother's not here. He's in Delaware today. You're going to have to fill in for him. God's waiting on the church to be able to do what he wants to do. Now, a disclaimer, the title today is The Journey of a Lifetime. 
The title actually has nothing to do with the passage. Okay. You're all right with that, I guess. The title has nothing to do with the passage, but it has everything to do with the application. The passage leads to the application. Therefore, I'm hoping that we're going to find meaning for the title in the application, the journey of a lifetime. So on to today's passage. I'm going to give you some details of the passage, the setting, and what's going on, and then I want to make application, and and the importance lies in the application. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed. So Paul and Barnabas have a conversation. Let's go back, revisit where we've just been on this first missionary journey. There are stirrings in the church at Antioch for a second missionary journey. From the wording, it appears that the stirring began in the heart of the Apostle Paul. He shared what God was stirring in his heart with Barnabas, and Barnabas said, let's do it. Is God stirring something in your heart to do? Don't ignore that, please. It's so important. If God is stirring something in your heart, even if it seems outlandish, even if it's not already being done, don't take that lightly and share it with somebody and see if you can get some agreement on it. God is going to be stirring our hearts in these days ahead. He is going to be doing that. I mean, he is. I can't overemphasize that. He is going to be doing that. But will we allow him to bring what he's stirring into fruition? Or will we pull out our thousand reasons why it can't be? Or why it shouldn't be or why we don't want it to be? And this is you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to you guys, too. Don't ever think you're too young to serve the Lord. Scripture says, serve the Lord in the days of your youth while you're still strong and energetic. There's so much for you. So this stirring began in the heart of Paul, and he shared it with Barnabas. And the purpose was to see how the new believers are doing. The motivation for this trip seems to be more discipleship in nature than evangelistic, though we're always evangelistic. The focus is to be on new believers, The purpose seems to be to do a checkup on how those new believers in those previous cities where they had been are doing. New believers here does refer to those who came to Christ during Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And verse 37 is the last two two words of this this quote on the board is, is the beginning of verse 37. Barnabas agreed. Paul suggested it. Barnabas agreed to it. There are further indications that others and even the church itself were on board as well. So far, so good. We have a stirring in the heart of one of our brothers. We have agreement that this is what God's going to do. Then verse 37 moves into that infamous but. B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. But. Don't you hate the but. B-U-T. But Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Paul disagreed strongly. Agreement just became disagreement. Uh Uh-oh. Why did Paul disagree strongly? Well, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. 
a dispute arose between Paul and Barnabas. Another strategy of our diabolical enemy to cause trouble in the church and hinder God's work. And the issue here seems to be over a fellow named John Mark. Barnabas wants to take him along. Paul adamantly disagreed. So I thought, if this is if John Mark is the issue, we need to find out a little about John Mark. You agree with that? Let's see what's going on here. What do we know about John Mark? Well, we first met him back in Acts 12. The setting for chapter 12 here where we are is that Peter had been arrested for his faith, but he was miraculously sprung from prison by an angel. And by the way, without being able to prove it, I think we need to expect an increase in angel activity in the days ahead as God begins to pour out his spirit and move mightily. Angels assist the Holy Spirit in carrying out God's will. You say, well, I don't know about that. I would bet you have no problem believing that Satan oversees a hierarchy of demons and he assigns them to do his bidding. Do you believe that? Why do we struggle to believe that the Holy Spirit oversees an angelic army and he assigns them work to do his bidding? Unfortunately, yeah, we're fixed more on the demonic than the godly. So Peter sprung from prison, and when he realizes this, that he's out of prison, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of who? John Mark, where many were gathered to pray. So Peter was sprung from prison. He found the church praying that night at the home of John Mark's mom. History has it John Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin. Oh, that might play into this a little bit. Barnabas wants to take him along. Paul doesn't. He's, he's Barnabas's cousin, which means John Mark's mom was Barnabas's aunt. So John Mark's mom would be Barnabas's aunt, and it seems like John Mark grew up in a Christian home. He came from a Christian home. We know that about him. Now, later in chapter 12, verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they had been sent to Jerusalem for famine relief. The church in Antioch, Syria had a heart for the church in Jerusalem, which was struggling, and they, they sent a distribution of food, and they sent Paul and Barnabas to do it. So when they had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned to Antioch, Syria, taking John Mark with them. So now John Mark's with them going back to Syria, Antioch. Are you following? Uh, thank you. I'm not going to preach if you're not following. I'll wait. We have all day. So John Mark was a part of the church in Jerusalem. Interesting. While Paul and Barnabas were at Jerusalem with famine relief, persecution broke out upon the church in Jerusalem. Severe persecution. Remember Stephen was killed? And that kind of stuff was happening? So when Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch, interestingly, look who tagged along with them, John Mark. These are the facts that we know about John Mark thus far from Acts 12. Now we see him again today in chapter 15, and he's at the center of a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. And here's what we know plays into this dispute between Paul and Barnabas. That involves John Mark. You still following all this? 
John Mark is also mentioned in 13, so he was mentioned in 12. We're seeing him today in 15, but we got to know something about him from 13. Here we go. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Paul and his companions, they left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga, There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark went with them, and then John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. The persecution in Jerusalem, by the way, had settled down by now. You see where this is going, right? Anybody see where this is going? It's very interesting that John Mark left Paul and Barnabas after they had encountered trouble in Cyprus. Could be coincidence, but there seems to be a pattern here. John Mark seems to depart whenever the going gets tough. Knowing what we do about the Apostle Paul, that wouldn't sit very well with him, would it? Take someone along that's going to leave and bail when it gets tough. You see why. And knowing Barnabas the way we do, and he's his cousin, and Barnabas is this like son of encouragement. Let's give him another chance. Let's see what he got. Caused this huge dispute between two of these leading pillars in the church. So the implication in our text in 15, chapter 15, is that at least in Paul's mind, John Mark was a liability. John Mark had bailed on them. Scripture doesn't really say that. Scripture just lays out how he came and went and came and went. It always seemed to be just on the back end of trouble. But for whatever reason, it caused a huge dispute between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul did not want John Mark on the second missionary journey. Scripture also does not say who, if either of them, we're right. Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? Scripture doesn't say. Luke just objectively reports the account. This is what happened. The disagreement was so sharp that they separated. It didn't resolve. You think with these two men of God it would resolve, right? It didn't resolve. They separated. Paul and Barnabas actually separated. Barnabas did take John Mark, and he went back to Cyprus. Paul chose another young disciple named Silas, and he went a different direction. So sad, isn't it? Or don't you think? Or don't you care? Do you care? We'll talk about that next week. Things were going so good, man. What happened? One minute they were heading out on their second missionary journey. More work for the Lord. More souls added to the church. More kingdom testimonies. More memories created. And the next minute they were leaving separately. And possibly sadder yet, but don't take this as an admission of guilt, okay? Barnabas is never again mentioned in the book of Acts. This is the last you hear of him. 
So I have a thought to share with you on why John Mark left. You want to hear that? I'm sure you have your own thoughts on why he left. It may or may not be the thought I have. I have a thought on why he didn't or maybe couldn't stick it out. And it's going to lead to our first main point that we'll cover this week. So see if you can follow this. See if you can actually tell me what I'm thinking. One day the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. The men laid their hands on them, the men meaning the church. The men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. John Mark went with them. Do you see a possible reason in there why John Mark didn't cut it? Say it good and loud, Brandon. Brandon said he wasn't called to this work. John Mark seems to be a fellow like many Christians who's just kind of carving his own way through life doing what he wants to do and what he thinks is good at the time. My own opinion, who does it say the Holy Spirit called for this work? The first missionary journey. Whom did the church set apart and commission with the laying on of hands for this work, the first missionary journey? Whom did the Holy Spirit then send out on this missionary journey? Barnabas and Saul. So question, who had the grace for this work? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You're not going to accomplish anything for the Lord if you're not working under grace. If you're working in your own strength, it's going to be a miserable failure. Much of the church today is not operating under grace. This may be an exaggerated statement. But when you look at how things are going in the world and you say, man, how did the world ever get like this? At least a huge part of the answer rests with the church. Because the church never was what the church should have been because we've been living for ourselves. We've been cutting our own way. We've been following our own plans, our own ambitions, our own agendas. That's what landed you guys in Mono's house. This was not God's plan for you, but he will use it mightily if you allow him. Yeah, we're responsible for at least part of what's going on in the world because we're not what we should be. Most of us are living for our own lives, our own desire, the, the world and the things of the world, when God clearly forbid that. And we're ineffective. It just boggles my mind that in a country where, well, in an area, let's say a region right here, where we have churches around us with thousands of people in those churches, and we're here, how can our culture still be going to hell so rapidly? Why isn't there a Christian influence if there's so many Christians? So Paul and Barnabas had the grace for the work, not necessarily John Mark. Just like in Acts 12 and 13, he seemed to tag along with Paul and Barnabas. 
If he wasn't called by God to this work or sent out by the Holy Spirit or commissioned by the church, then perhaps I'm just making a move, a my own opinion point. Scripture doesn't say this, but it does lead into my main point I want to apply for us. That is scriptural. Then perhaps John Mark did not have the grace for this mission, and that's why he struggled. He was not in God's will for him or his life. Just a thought. We're going to stop now with the details, and we're going to move into developing the point and making the application. And I want to develop this first main point off of this thought. Who had the grace? Who had the grace from God for the assignment? Second main point next week, and just just a little bit of a pull the curtain back. Don't worry too much about John Mark. He ends up fine. We'll talk about that next week. John Mark ends up fine. But I don't want to give that away yet today, just a little bit. First main point. Every believer, this is, I need you to say amen on this. Every believer has a unique and specific calling of God upon their life. Every believer, every believer, that's you. That's me. We have a core value in this area. Our core values are some of our best kept secrets in our church. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. At least somebody laughed. Nobody knows our core values. They're on the website, right, Donna? We have them on the website, right? The core values. And this one's under the category of service or ministry. Every believer has a place of service. This is our core value. Every believer has a place of service according to God's unique gifting and calling in the local church. Everyone, no pew sitters, servers. Can we support this scripturally? Well, I think we can. Or I wouldn't be preaching it. Let's begin with Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. There's a version of the Bible called the Amplified Version where it takes most of the other versions and it puts it into one version. And this, I don't use it that often, but it makes this verse very clear. You ready? Paying attention? For we are his workmanship, meaning his own masterful work, a work of art. You're a work of art. God's work of art. Created in Christ Jesus, meaning reborn, born again, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand. Taking the paths that he set for us so that we should walk in them or we would walk in them. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Whew. No amens on that. Once we come to salvation, God has a unique and a specific calling, plan, purpose, assignment for each of us. Thank you. We are, each of us is his unique workmanship. No two are the same. You know, they always say that's true about a snowflake. But who ever saw all the snowflakes in the world? Right? But if we believe it's true, we're kind of like snowflakes. No two of us are identical. We're God's unique workmanship. Each one of us. You're so special and you don't even know it. 
And he saved us, not just so that we go to heaven. That's a major part of it. But he saved us so that we could serve him here in the capacity and in the place and in the plan or the works which he designed in advance for us to do. Before the foundations of the earth, he saw you. He knew he was going to create you. He knew you were going to come to Christ. And he formulated this wonderful, unbelievable plan and purpose for you. Then he gifted you. He gave you the grace to accomplish it. It's crazy stuff. This isn't salvation or Christianity 101. We're way beyond the gospel message for salvation right now. We're talking about God's plans for our lives, especially in light of what he's going to do very soon or is doing. I keep making that mistake saying God is going to move. God is already moving mightily. There's paths that he has set for us, uniquely and specifically designed for you and me, so that we would walk in them. And that actually can be translated, it is very important that we walk in them. Not just so that we would, hey, it's optional. No, it's almost a command, if not a command. You need to be walking in the plans that I have formulated for you. Church, believer, his plan his path for us, not our own. It is important. It's not okay to just get saved and then you live your life until you go to heaven doing what you want to do. It's really not okay. And if you're truly saved, you'll still get into heaven, but you'll find out at the judgment seat of Christ it wasn't okay. There are going to be no tears in heaven. There are going to be many tears at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you hear me? He chooses, not us. I love that verse when Jesus said, you think you chose me. I chose you. I chose you and drew you to myself, and I have a plan for you to serve me. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's better than any plan you can ever devise for your own life. Do you agree with that? Do you understand that? It's his plan. We accomplish his plan, his purposes, his calling, his set of good works for us. Listen to me. He went to a lot of work setting this up for us. He moved heaven and earth sometimes, even hell, so that we're positioned to accomplish his plans and purposes for us. Think about that, please. He gives us everything we need. We call, we call it grace. It's provision. It's protection. It's other people. It's anything and everything we need to accomplish his plan and his purposes. And here's the unfortunate truth. He doesn't give us everything we need to accomplish our plans and our purposes. Even if we're believers, we're on our own. If we're living our own life instead of on his plan and purposes, we're on our own and we don't have grace. That's why many of us wonder why it's so tough. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Because we're out of his will and we don't have grace. We don't have favor. We don't have protection. The further we get out of his will, the more we lose his favor, his protection, and his blessings. If we somehow feel, if we feel we somehow don't have something that we think we need, Perhaps the problem isn't what we do not have, but that we're on the wrong plan. And that's why we don't have it. 
Do you get that? A warning and a challenge. We don't want to be caught sleeping on this. Unfortunately, hear me. Unfortunately, even as truly saved believers, we have a free will. We can choose his way or we can choose another way. Repeating the first main point, God has a unique and specific calling and plan for each of our lives. And it's in everyone's best interest that we know and are on that plan. Except Satan's, of course. He's the one. He's the exception. He doesn't want us on God's plan. And he'll do everything he can to keep you off of God's plan. And one of his biggest tools is deception. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Many scriptures speak to this point. We're going to close by looking at a few of them. Ephesians 5.17. This is talking about how you as a believer, how I as a believer are to live life. Don't act thoughtlessly. So many believers live life thoughtlessly. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't wander aimlessly through life. Don't be ignorant of this truth. We were saved for a purpose, and it's not just heaven. And it's important we give thought to. Thoughtlessly is the opposite of giving thought to. It's important that we think about this. What is the purpose of my life? Where am I with this? Am I seeking God continually for his plan, his purpose, his will, his calling? in my life. We're to highly consider this. It's something we're to give a lot of thought to. We're to place high value on his plan. Remember, God put a lot of thought into it. He put a lot of thought into what would be best for you before he designed the plan. And me. Are we going to blow that off? I just feel to say that some of us have much less time ahead of us than behind us. But there's never, it's never too late to get on God's plan for your life. Glory, I'm so glad you're here. God has spared your life. He has a plan for you. He still wants to use you mightily. Some of our greatest Christian resources are laid up in nursing homes and places like that and not being used anymore. And one thing I cannot stand to hear, so don't ever say it to me. Well, I'm older now. It's time for the younger people to step up. That's baloney. You serve the Lord with all your heart to the day you take your last breath. He has a plan for you. There's a scripture that says, this is not your rest. That's your rest. There'll be plenty of time to rest. And Steve, they who trust in the Lord remain vital, even unto old age. That's a lot of pressure. At least it's the word. I do believe it. So are we going to blow this off and just continue to live for our own ambitions and our selfish desires, the world and the things of the world, do our own thing? 
knowing we got heaven. And many believers are doing just that, intentionally or unintentionally. Many believers are not on God's assignment for them. And the world, and the, the, well, the church, the kingdom, the world, you, me, we're hurting because of it. You say, well, I'm not on it, but that doesn't affect you. It certainly does affect me because God ties all of our plans and purposes and stuff together. And if you're not fulfilling yours, I'm limited. I'm diminished. Lastly, in this particular vein, it's an insult to God. Who would purposefully insult God? None of us sitting in here. But if you're choosing your plan and your life over his, that's an insult to God. To your heavenly Father, to Jesus your Savior, our Savior, to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, who put so much thought and planning into this for us. Here's the Apostle Paul's take on the matter. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to the Lord or give your lives to God because of all he has done for you. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. They're just living for their own stuff. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. He pleads with the believers in Rome, take this matter seriously. So much is riding on it. Give your life to God. You're saved. You came to him in saving faith. Now give your life to God to serve him. No holds barred. Radical abandonment. That's what we need. That's what the church needs today. Hey, evil is radically abandoned to their agenda, aren't they? And they don't care. And they're unapologetic about it. Why aren't we? Give your life to God. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to God's plans and purposes. An assignment, the calling he has on your life. Seek him for it. Pursue it with all you got. Man, we seek earthly things and we pursue earthly things with all of our energy. Why are we seeking God for his will for us with all that we got? You know why? Because it's not that important to us. And by the way, this is true worship. We can sing all we want, and we love to sing, and that is worship. But this is true worship to completely submit your life to him. No longer living for your plans and your selfish ambitions, but for God's plans and purposes. The Bible calls that perfect worship. That's worship. It doesn't diminish at all what we do here, but it adds to it. Actually, here's another thought. What's your mindset when you come into church on Sunday morning? Have you been preparing yourself to come here so you can enter in? Or are you just rush through your, your daily life living for yourself and then come, here, come in here and hope that maybe you'll have a worship experience? Come on. That's not going to work. You need to come in here prepared to worship and to enter in. And if you're living for the Lord and you've given your life to him, as I said at the beginning, then you just can't wait to get to church because it's just that next exciting piece of your relationship and your life with him. Sonny, in your defense, 
It's very hard to lead people in worship who have been living for themselves all week and then come in here and, and hope to have a church experience. It's a very difficult job that you have. When we give ourselves to him, when we submit our life to him, to live out his plans and his purposes for our lives, then this is when we will know what his will is. Perhaps if you've been struggling to know his will, it's not that he's dangling a carrot. It's that you're not really willing to live for his will. Many of us want to know God's will before we say whether we'll accept it and embrace it. Doesn't work that way. Here's another, by the way. His will is good, pleasing, and purpose. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's plans, purposes, and assignments for us are as best as it can be. Because listen to this. A perfect God has designed a perfect plan for your life. He's perfect in all his ways. One further thought. We're talking now pretty much about there, our core value was there's gifting and calling to serve in the church. There's one other piece to this, very important. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. All I want to say about this is that there's two parables involving seed and farmer sowing seed. One has to do with the word of God, where, we're, where the word is the seed. The other one has to do with the farmer who is God sowing the seed who are believers out into the world where he wants them. The thought here is this. Jesus, as the farmer, spreads the seed, you and me, his followers. And he, he scatters us into various locations and various vocations, locations and vocations throughout the world, in line with his plans, purposes, and assignment, his calling for each one of us. In those places, then, where he sets us, we serve him. And we, he uses us to accomplish his plans, purpose, assignment out there. There is a will of God for us within the church, serving in ministry. There's a will of God for us outside the church, reaching the lost for Christ, being a blessing to society, being an impact in our culture. God has so much for the church to be doing, and the church is so lacking in this. And it's why we see what's going on in the world going on. It's on them, but it's also on us. Aren't we the salt and the light? This message falls under the category of preparing this church to receive the harvest for the coming mighty move of God's Spirit. Because in the coming move of God's Spirit, in the coming harvest, we're going to have many assignments from God that we're called to accomplish. And we need to know that. I feel like saying, any thoughts? But no, we're not going to say any thoughts. Come to Tuesday night. You can share your thoughts there. All right, this leads to the actual application. Remember the title, The Journey of a Lifetime? There's no other way to live. If you're truly a believer, there's no other way to live. Folks who are true believers but still trying to live for themselves are the most miserable folks in the world. They can't embrace either world. God won't let them fully embrace the world, and they won't fully embrace his kingdom. Miserable. That's why we have so many miserable Christians around. Grumbling and complaining Christians, they're miserable. 
because they're not on God's plan for their lives. They're trying to live for themselves. Am I being a little too harsh here? <laughs> it's true. Get on God's plan for your life and his experience for you. It'll be the journey of a lifetime. And it's a journey of a lifetime because, number one, it's as exciting as it can get. You can't plan it any better than he did. And it's a journey of a lifetime because it lasts a lifetime. You didn't already accomplish it, and now you rest on your laurels till you die and go to heaven. It's a journey of a lifetime till you breathe your last. The will of the Lord for our lives is fluid. It changes and it evolves as we go through, through our lives. That's why we need to be seeking him constantly for what he has for us. It's always fresh. It's never stale. It's never stagnant. It begins the moment we accept Christ, and it never ends. There's actually going to be a will of God for you and a will of God for me in all of eternity, serving him. Man, come on. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any more exciting than that. You entered the Christian life. You entered a win-win. There's no loss, but we live like it's mostly loss. Am I right? I'm done. I gave it all and I ain't got no more to give. So if you'll stand with me, we'll have the band come forward. Bob's going to come and lead us in prayer. Bob, just wait till we get settled a little and then pray and then you can come up, join the band. You guys bear with me for a minute. Uh, I think this might apply. Uh, I all, first of all, thanks, Hub. You're, you're killing me. But anyway, uh, this might apply. This morning I was getting ready for church, and uh, I opened up my closet. And you know I'm not a, a fashionista. You probably know that. Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> so anyhow, I opened up my closet. I said, my Lord. Most of this stuff is old, you know, and you think old. Well, I have a, a T-shirt I wear that had, it was a uh, thing from Hajoka from 2008. I'm still wearing it. I have, I have a jacket from uh, one of, worked for Asplen. It's like 45 years old. I'm still wearing that. And all those things, they're not wore out, and they're still good. They still fit. Uh, they're a little tighter in the stomach and a little looser in the arms, but, you know, they still fit and they're still good. But I was there looking at that, and I thought, you know, this stuff's still good, but it just doesn't fit for today. It's just not, not where I sh what I should be wearing on the outside today. So I kind of looked at that, and, and kind of like the Lord said, well, your life, you've been living fairly decent life, but it's all along, but it's not as good as it could get. And, uh, well, anyhow, I don't know how that, you, you know, maybe you can get a, get a 
a teaching out of that or something. I don't know, but, you know, because I've been coming to church and stuff like that, and a lot of times my life has been Sunday morning church, and, and, and I, I, need to, I need to get away from that, I know. So the Lord's been spoke, speaking to me for a while. Uh, there's a verse that says, in, in the Bible, that says, before, I knew, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and called, anointed, uh, whatever word you want to use in there, for good works. Now, those good works, I, I, I come to realize those good works, uh, I, I got to get past this, but uh, the, the good works were planned even from creation. Our father, who knew when he, even then that we were going to be here today, because he knew, knows the end from the beginning. And he had good works for us. And when we accepted Christ, those good, that plan for good works came into action. It was activated at that point. And at that point, he gave us everything we need to accomplish those good works. Grace, like Hub was talking about, that grace. Giftings, um, you know, everything we need to accomplish the good works that he called us to. So that being said, uh, I just want to pray for us. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word you've given us today. Word that kind of moves me to, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I realize, Father, that you have equipped us to do those good works. Your plan is activated, and the only thing that keeps those good works from being done is us. So, Father, I would ask that right now, Father, you would activate, put on our, 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 the grace, pour out the grace to each one of us that you have assigned to us, Lord. It has been poured out, but we haven't really, Father, we haven't, we haven't realized maybe that we even had that grace. We haven't even realized that that giftings and those plans that you have for us, uh, what they are. So, Father, first of all, I'd ask that you would reveal to us, each one of us, that good work that you have for us for, the, for our life so our journey would be full and we would accomplish all that you desire for us. And then, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you would, you would fill us anew every day, Lord, every moment that we would be empowered to fulfill those good works, that we would have the power and the courage and the stamina to do those things that you've called us to do. Father, I thank you so much for knowing that this is not a, a, a prayer that, that won't go unanswered. This is one that, that if we are willing and if we say, Father, fulfill your, your plans in me, you will do that. So, Father, I just thank you so much for that. Uh, Lord, I, I, you know, we stand here in, in the presence of, I stand in the presence of greatness, Father. Not, not because these people are anything special, Lord, but because you are special and you have gifted them for great works to accomplish great things. And, and it's kind of awesome, Father. So, uh, 
I just ask, Father, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit and give us all uh, the, the empowerment that we need to, to accomplish what you want us to accomplish. We love you, Father. We love you, Lord. And, 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 and our heart's desire is to serve you. Our heart's desire is, is, is to, to bring the lost to know you. Our heart's desire is to, to see the kingdom of God expanded in, in, in the earth. And, and, and Father, you have equipped us to do that. Uh, now is the time, Father, I feel like you are releasing us. Mm. Uh, Thank you, Lord. It's, it's no, no longer a thing that we, we read about and we, we desire, but Father, you have given us the go order. So Father, lead us. We, 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 we need the Lord say a bit, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts, just to guide and lead us. So thank you, Lord. I praise you and, and, and all this in Jesus' name for, for your glory, for his glory, for the, for the, the glory of the, the living God. Praise your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.